Recently, I spent 10 days in Baltimore, Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Summersville, West Virginia, with two of my cousins, both of whom are enamored with art. On my first day in the East, they picked me up and immediately picked me up from the airport and immediately drove me down to Washington, D.C. In D.C., I was introduced to new foods, as in lamb and falafel, uh, <laughs> new views, as in capital, all that, because I had never been to Washington, D.C., and new politics that I won't get into <laughs> for obvious reasons, uh, but a particular introduction resonated with me, and that was art. My two cousins introduced me to the analysis of art, uh, which is something I had never done before. For example, as we entered, as we first entered the Hirschhorn Sculpture Garden in Washington, D.C., of course, they asked me to look at Auguste Rodin's The Burgers of Clay and expound what I think of that sculpture. Uh, because I had not before analyzed art in such a way, they guided me through my analysis. That one's a pretty easy one to analyze. If you've seen the Burgers of Calais before, it's pretty easy to analyze. Uh, however, in a future sculpture, Sterling Ruby's Double Candle, I was able to figure out the meaning of the sculpture with less guidance. Of course, I still required a little bit of guidance. The Double Candle features two large candles meant to be a memorial for national unity and grief. Now, I assume that you understand the meaning of the sculpture now. Memorial, memorial, two tall, very tall candles symbolizing something very exceptional in America, symbolizing a very, very big tragedy that occurred in the last 20 years. It's kind of obvious what that is. Um, but yeah, those that's basically what it is, of course. Um, and those two sculptures, along with many others we saw that day, uh, inspired me to engage in art. Even as of the first day that I started writing this long chapter for these three episodes it's going to be, uh, I was on my way to go to the Milwaukee Art Museum for the first time in about seven years to see it, where I was basically going to analyze art on my own because I was going by myself. And I'll say it was very interesting. I saw a lot of different things, and I did definitely force myself to analyze it. I found it very, very interesting. It was one of the better days, especially it was I've had a very good summer, and I would say that was one of the better days, so that's pretty that's pretty good. Um, this chapter, this three episodes, to be honest, these three episodes are part of a seven episode series, basically, at least. Uh, that will delve deeper into the rich history of art, from prehistory to the modern era. In these three episodes, the long history of art from prehistory to antiquity will be introduced. Uh, before we enter this chapter, though, understand that art is best understood with visuals. While you are reading or listening to this chapter, click the links in the bibliography or search for the pieces introduced to enhance your understanding of the style and the piece itself, of course. There is going to be a very long document of about six pages of links that have basically every single piece or every single portion of every single thing that I use to research. There is a lot in that. There are a ton of links, so I suggest that you just use them because, of course, that is pretty helpful. Uh, so let's just get into it. This chapter, this episode, these three strings of episodes, this three-episode series, unlike even the episodes on abstract algebra, calculus, and dark matter, uh, will be separated into three separate episodes. For, the, for this segment is far too long to make into a single episode. 
But anyway, let's actually get into it now. Uh, prehistoric art includes all known, I emphasize known, art from the prehistoric era, or the era before the advent of written language and literacy. There are three eras defining prehistoric art. In the Paleolithic period, so this is going to be prehistoric technically, uh, there are the lower, the middle, and the upper Paleolithic eras, with the lower Paleolithic era, I, I have a lisp, being the oldest, and the upper Paleolithic era being the youngest, as in the newest. Uh, there's also the Neolithic era, but I did not include that. There is a link to the history of art, and there's a lot on the Neolithic era that can be understood, that you can read on. I decided not to put it in because... I really wanted to get into the ancient art because they have ancient Greek art, ancient Egyptian art, and ancient Roman art, and that's just really incredible to me. I love all those, all three of those regions because they had such incredible art to come out of them, uh, especially the Greek art. Greek was my favorite, and you'll see because of how long it is. Um, while there technically exists no undisputed art from the lower and middle Paleolithic, there is evidence, with dispute of course, for the emergence of art as late as... 100,000 to 50,000 years ago, characterizing the advent of art as occurring in the middle Paleolithic, but even then it could be much further back than then. Uh, the dispute is generally over whether an artifact can be considered art. For example, some archaeologists believe that some Acheulean hand axes, some of which were used as long as 1.76 million years ago, could be considered art based on the perceived artistic expression of the axes. Uh, if the oldest of these axes are considered art, then the advent of art could be attributed to craftsmen, to a craftsman or woman, craftsman or woman, uh, that lived as long as 1.76 million years ago. Uh, a specific piece that has disputations over whether it can be considered art or not is a shell known as Pseudodon Shell DUB1006-FL. Wow, what a really grand artistic name. A fossil that has a zigzag etching that is attributed to Homo erectus, a hominid preceding the Homo sapien. Uh, the etching is 500,000 years old, landing it in the lower Paleolithic. The oldest known drawing with the human hand, though also disputed, is a 73,000-year-old cave painting in Blombos Cave, South Africa. This painting, if confirmed to be of human origin, will be the first known cave painting and potentially the first known piece of art that existed in the Middle Paleolithic era, depending on whether it's, depending on what is disputed and undisputed or not, of course. Uh, the Upper Paleolithic features the oldest confirmed and undisputed works of art, such as the oldest currently known figurative art painting, a cave painting of an unknown animal in Borneo, Indonesia. Uh, the painting is considered to be around 40,000 years old, but could be as old as 52,000 years old, which would land it in the middle Paleolithic. Sculptures as old as 40,000 years old featuring women, known as Venus figurines, and lion men have been discovered in the Swabian Alps of Germany. The Chauvet Cave in France, named after one of the discoverers of the cave, features a prehistoric painting of rhinoceroses dated 35,000 years old. There are a lot of cave paintings that are pretty, are quite old and quite incredible. The art of the Paleolithic period does not necessarily represent a symbolic style. Instead, it is believed that the art may have held ritualistic or even survivalistic significance. 
However, some works of art, such as the Venus of Willendorf, a prehistoric Venus figurine that features a large, exaggerated, and corpulent woman, may represent what obesity once featured. That was plentiful food and power. Uh, the woman may have represented a period of caloric or even sexual and emotional uh, wealth in the tribe when it was created. Another example is the Lion Man figurine, a figurine ma featuring a man with a lion's head. Uh, art historians debate over the symbolism of this piece, but I personally think it could symbolize the power of man uh, or just a perceived spirit. There, are, Remember that faith for most tribes was intrinsically tied with nature, of course, specifically tribes that were intrinsically tied with nature. So it, it can be expected that nature itself may inspire the Nat natural natural creativity in this piece. Even so, it is believed that most works of art in prehistoric Paleolithic periods were necessary objects in the tribes that manufactured them. Uh, we refer to prehistoric art as the art produced before the advent of written language, so basically before written history, which is around 6,000 years ago, and we refer to ancient art as art produced during and immediately after the advent of a written language. In terms of mainland Asia, northern Africa, the Middle East, and Europe, ancient art refers to the art of the period from the surfacing of written language, basically to the fall of the Roman Empire. In terms of pre-Columbian America, the development of a writing system occurred much later, if at all, and thus most of their civilizations' art is grouped as prehistoric art, for most American civilizations had no written language at the time of the creation of their known art. Now, the one exclusion for pre for ancient art is the are the Olmecs. The Olmecs will be discussed in this in these strings of episodes. Uh, there are a fair number of separate periods and cultures of art, all of which are unique and ancient. These sections include Mesopotamian art, ancient Egyptian art, Indus Valley art, Chinese art, Greek art, pre-classical art, Phoenician art, uh, Etruscan art, Dacian art, pre-Roman Iberian art, Hittite art, Bactrian art. Celtic art, Achaemenid art, Roman art, and Olmec art. The only thing that will not be discussed out of that list uh, is pre-classical art. It's grouped with other things. Um, because there's the next string of episodes are going to go entirely, are going to be surfaced around uh, classical art, pre-classical art, all classical art. Now, we are only going to discuss Mesopotamian, Ancient Egyptian, Indus Valley, and Chinese art in this episode, but the next episode will feature Greek art, pre, uh, Phoenician art, Etruscan art, uh, and Dacian art, and pre-Roman Iberian art. Uh, this episode, though, as I said, will feature everything before that Greek art. So we'll first start with Mesopotamian art. Uh, Mesopotamian art originated in Mesopotamia, of course, a historical civilization that dominated the Fertile Crescent, a region in which uh, a region in the Middle East that is believed to have been the region where the Neolithic or agricultural revolution first materialized. Mesopotamia was already a large civilization when written history began there, around 54 to 5300 years ago, uh, and its art took a more specialized religious and cultural form than prehistoric art had. Now, there are a number of different civilizations that existed in ancient Mesopotamia that have very unique art forms, and of course we're going to discuss them individually. 
The Sumerians, members of an indigenous civilization that occupied Mesopotamia from as early as the 5th millennium BCE until the fall of Babylon under the Achaemenid Empire, produced pottery that was decorated with cedar oil paints and invented jewelry. Uh, the Sumerians produced a magnificent piece of art from Mesopotamia, that of the Standard of Ur, a hollow wooden box featuring mosaics of what are perceived to be scenes of war and peace. It is one of the most beautiful mosaics I've ever seen. You would not expect it from being 4,600 years old. The piece is around 4,600 years old, and it is beautiful. And of course, it emanates from the ancient Sumerian city-state of Ur, a city-state located in present-day Iraq. The Babylonians, unlike Sumerians, unlike the Sumerians, took advantage of the abundance of clay in Mesopotamia to create bricks. They used these bricks to develop columns and pilaster. In painting, the Babylonians developed a technique known as fresco, a technique where mural building is done on wet lime plaster. The Babylonians also began to develop terracotta, the ceramic that is often associated with sculptures made of earthenware. An example is the terracotta figures are the terracotta figures in Beijing, China. And we will get to those, no question. Uh, Assyria, another Mesopotamian civilization, copied Babylonian architecture and art until later Assyrians began incorporating stone and colored architecture in their edifices. Uh, the Assyrians began to develop gold and copper jewelry, of course, enhancing the development of jewelry from Mesopotamia. Uh, remember that the Sumerians had first developed jewelry in that same Mesopotamia. So jewelry definitely saw its rise with Mesopotamia. Uh, some notable works from the region uh, of Mesopotamia include Ishtar Gate, created during the reign of Babylonian uh, created during under the reign of Babylonian ruler Nebuchadnezzar II. He was interesting. Uh, Lamassu, large sculptures of Lamassu, uh, gods that in ancient Mesopotamian culture were believed to protect kings and priests of Mesopotamia. The steel of Hammurabi featured the Hammurabi Code, the first surviving code of law, uh, which took an artistic appeal through its use of cuneiform, the writing system of ancient Mesopotamian civilizations. Uh, and also the Bull Lyre, a sculpture in the tomb of Queen Puabi that was meant to help the queen fend off loneliness on the journey to the afterlife. Ancient Egyptian art refers to the creativity of the A Egyptian empire during the long reign of ancient Egypt, from the 31st century BCE to the 4th century AD, so 3,500 years, or the early dynastic period of Egypt to the Christianization of Roman Egypt. Ancient, Egypt's, ancient Egyptian art style uh, was very conservative. Uh, that is, it changed a little throughout the reign of ancient Egypt. Art in ancient Egypt sought to fulfill functional purposes as religious and ideological symbols. With a highly centralized central government, a significant proportion of art produced in ancient Egypt honored powerful officials and pharaohs. Egyptian art, especially in temples honoring those same powerful officials and pharaohs, emphasized the concept of immortality. The early dynastic period began as Upper and Lower Egypt unified into an empire. During this period, the cosmic palette used to grind and apply facial and body, bodily cosmetics became more sophisticated and brilliantly designed. At this time, the Egyptian writing system became more sophisticated. 
uh, evolving to a language with 200 symbols in the forms of phonograms and ideograms. Now, of course, this is Egyptian hieroglyphics that became more sophisticated. Uh, and the Old Kingdom, often referred to as the Age of the Pyramids, was a period that spanned 505 years from 2686 to 2181 BCE. This period was characterized by the development of pyramid building and the same statues and edifices honoring princes, pharaohs, heroes, queens, etc. Specifically, princes, pharaohs, and queens. Uh, the Middle Kingdom, also referred to as the period of reunification, was a 405-year period lasting from 2055 to 1650 BCE. In a popular religious or in popular religion, the deity Osiris, the god of fertility, agriculture, the afterlife, the dead, resurrection, life, and vegetation, and Poseidon is only the god of the sea, storms, and earthquakes and horses, right? So like Egyptian ancient Egyptian gods had quite the number of responsibilities being the gods of. Uh, but Osiris was the most important deity of the period. Uh, in the later dynasties of the Middle Kingdom, kings had their monuments made in styles that resembled styles of Memphite models of earlier dynasties. The 12th dynasty featured artistic homogeneity with the influence of royal workshops. Uh, in the 12th dynasty, the prosperity of Egypt peaked as reflected by the wealth of material in the dynasty's art, and then they would say that the next period would be the peak. Uh, the second intermediate period was a 100-year period in ancient Egypt where little art was actually made, but a lot of art was copied and forged. Uh, for example, the Hyksos Sphinxes are a group of monuments that were once believed to have represented the Hyksos pharaohs from the second intermediate period, but it was later realized that these monuments were actually not created by for any Hyksos ru ruler, but rather they were actually re-inscribed to become monuments for the Hyksos ruler. Uh, the earliest crime of intellectual property theft is apparent. <laughs> uh, the New Kingdom was a 481-year period between 1550 and 1069 BCE, also known as the Egyptian Empire, where Egypt peaked in power and experienced great prosperity, just as in the 12th dynasty of the Middle Kingdom. Successful war campaigns opened up new trade routes, which allowed for new materials, some of which were able to be used for appeasing the monumental creative needs of the powerful to be transported to Egypt. For example, trade routes allowed kings of Egypt to gain access to cedar, lapis lazuli, and turquoise, which obviously can be used to build uh, beautiful pieces of art, <laughs> which obviously can be used to fulfill those monumental needs of the rulers of ancient Egypt. Uh, the art of the New Kingdom and the Third Intermediate Period is divided into three chronological sub-periods. Those are the Pre-Amarna Amarna, Amarna and Ramesside periods. And the, Amar the Amarna period is one of the most interesting periods I've ever seen. The pre-Amarna period was characterized by the rise of the 18th Egyptian dynasty. Art in this period reflects the recent acquisition of new valuable materials from new trade routes. A lot of the art in this period was produced by Queen Hatshepsut, Hatshepsut, who led a massive campaign to erect buildings for all of the Egyptian gods. Uh, now, the Amarna period itself was 
an interesting period. It was a period characterized by the reign of Akhenaten, Akhenaten, where Egyptian art, which tends to be conservative and unchanging, experienced a significant and unexpected style break from preceding art. This short period created art that conveyed movement and activity, with many scenes appearing busy and crowded, unlike uh, prior Egyptian art. Another significant change in this period was Akhenaten's a declaration of a monotheistic Egyptian religion, which was previously polytheistic, a religion that honored the Egyptian sun god Aten, or Aten, Aten, which resonated in the arts produced during Akhenaten's reign. And the funny thing about this was that Akhenaten actually was not originally named Akhenaten. He actually changed his name to Akhenaten because he wanted to worship the god Aten. More than just that, there's more to it than that. Uh, the Ramesside period was the 20th dynasty following Akhenaten's reign that restored the conservative Egyptian religions and arts. So they went back to a polytheistic religion after he died. Basically, every single, everything that involved him was just erased. They just got rid of all of it. <laughs> they, especially, specifically in terms of religion, they didn't just entirely worship the sun god Aten anymore. They really... They really went back to the polytheistic religion and it restored their current art ideals. Uh, the late period, lasting from 664 to 332 BCE, so exactly 332 years, was a period of Egyptian influence during which the Persians took over the political state of the empire. The late period ended shortly after Alexander the Great invaded Egypt. Alexander the Great would later die, thus launching the Ptolemaic dynasty, a Greek dynasty, of course. A notable type of art that became common during the late period was the Horus Stelae, a statue of Horus, the ancient Egyptian deity of kingship and sky. Now, Indus Valley art derived from the Indus Valley, a region of present-day India and Pakistan in which a Bronze Age civilization known as the Indus Civilization existed. The Indus Civilization was one of the three major civilizations in the Eastern Hemisphere, along with the Mesopotamians and the Egyptians. However, the Indus Valley Civilization was far more geographically widespread than both Mesopotamia and Egypt, following the fertile areas surrounding the Indus River, which extended their civilization from present-day Afghanistan to present-day India. Occupying the Indus Valley for millennia were the Harappans, who are responsible for the arts and crafts discovered at various archaeological sites in the Indus River Valley. As with the ancient Egyptians, and more specifically the Mesopotamians, drawing out a very specific style of expression is difficult for the Indus Valley civilization. For the Egyptians, art was symbolic of deities or leaders, and in many cases the, arts, the art inscribed onto sculptures or tombs had cultural or religious significance. The Indus Valley civilization did not has, have as much of a centralized government as did Egypt, thus the massive megalom, megalomaniacal uh, sculptures and tombs never materialized. However, the Indus Valley civilization created many basic yet beautiful works of art. The Harappans built pottery, gold jewelry, and detailed figurines with terracotta, bronze, and steatite. They built cubical dice, which, yes, are the dice we use today. The terracotta figurines typically represented uh, anatomically sophisticated cows, bears, monkeys, uh, dogs, including an unknown animal that is part bull, part zebra, and has a majestic horn. Now, this unknown animal is speculated to be a religious or even cultic figure, 
but there is not yet enough evidence to affirm that. Even so, the figure is a very common figure, meaning that it must have had some cultural significance. One notable work from the Indus Valley Civilization is the Priest King, a sculpture carved from soapstone that dates back to around 2000 BCE, or if you're watching this in 2021, 4021 years ago. Uh, the piece is significant because human statues were rarities in the Indus Valley Civilization, and because the Priest King is a preeminent figurine discovered in the Indus Valley. The Priest King features a man with a neatly combed beard who wore a fillet, uh, a head garment that presented a note of royalty. The figurine wears a robe that is draped and worn over his left shoulder and worn under his right arm. Uh, the figurine is fragmented and pot potentially even unfinished. Another notable work from the Indus Valley Civilization is Dancing Girl, a figurine of a naked woman who appears, be based upon her figure, confident and natural. Uh, the two sculpture story le stories lead me to a story about the distribution of this art, and it's actually kind of funny. Uh, two countries, which are once two regions under the same rule of the same country, Pakistan and India, nearing Indian independence, held disputes over the ownership of 12,000 of these Indus Valley artifacts, which were, for the most part, in Indian hands. Eventually, an agreement was reached, and this agreement established that the two countries would divide evenly the new artifacts that were given to them. This even divide was particularly stringent. For example, authorities were known to separate beads from artifacts to give half the beads from one and half the beads to India, half the beads to Pakistan, half the beads to India. Uh, basically to give them to remain even simply so that the number of artifacts between Pakistan and India remain the same. In ancient China, religious rituals featured objects known as ritual bronzes. Uh, these are beautifully decorated and masterfully created uh, crafted cauldrons with which rituals and funeral rites were performed. Uh, the ritual bronzes often held within them food and drink during processions that cemented authority of dynasties such as the Shang dynasty. Uh, the Chinese also took advantage of terracotta art, creating one of the most recognizable pieces of art in the world. And you should probably know this without me having to indicate it. It's probably one of the weirdest and most unusual things that exists. Uh, the architecture of ancient China is not well represented uh, in pages that recognize their art, but ancient Chinese arch architecture is quite significant. That's why I'm including specifically the architecture of ancient China in the notable works. For example, the Great Wall of China, a 13,200-mile-long fortification built during antiquity, could technically be considered art because it's architecture. Architecture is art. Uh, ancient Chinese architecture was generally timber work. Timber, of course, was used to create some of the most advanced architecture by any civilization predating the skyscraper. Uh, another example of sculpting that is on a smaller, more digestible scale, <laughs> not really, is the Terracotta Army, a collection of almost perfectly human-like sculptures that represented the armies of Qin Shi Huang, the first emperor of China and the founder of the Qin Dynasty, uh, estimates suggest that there are as many as 8,000 terracotta figures, all masterfully crafted and all very human-like, in the mausoleum, uh, which is a large structure housing a tomb of the first Qin Emperor. Uh, Chinese art, in my opinion, is the most appealing of the four civilizations whose art we discuss today. But that's just my opinion. If you guys have any other ideas, of course, email me. I, there's no comment section in the, uh, in the podcast for 
on Spotify, unfortunately. But if you can get into a comment section about it, of course, give your ideas on what you think is the best, because obviously my opinion is only one opinion. There are 7.9 billion of us on this planet, and 7.9 billion of us all have different opinions. Uh, but unsurprisingly, this is going to be a three-episode series, but you guys know that. Uh, anyway, thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. If you wish to support the podcast, I'm not asking you to. Uh, just click the link in the description of the podcast and click subscribe. There's obviously not much of a problem if you do it or don't. I don't have a problem. Uh, but anyway, take care and stay curious.